Good morning. This is Richard Shu, host of Shu Untied. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me as my guest, Lothar Dieterman, a partner at Baker and McKenzie. Lothar, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Richard. Thanks for inviting me. Now, Lothar, I know about you by reputation, having been the privacy and data protection co-chair at Sherman & Sterling. But why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into this field to begin with, and uh, specifically, maybe even why what you like about it. Probably was born into it in the sense that I'm from the German state of Hessen, which published the first ever data protection law mm. the same year when I was born. So it's as old as me, but that was the first. <laughs> so it's in your DNA. That was the first law worldwide. It was enacted at the time when the German government was reacting to terrorism, domestic terrorism. The police didn't have a good way to capture the Red Army Fraction terrorists because they were all sons of preachers and teachers and no record. And they said we should create profiles on everyone. And in Germany that had, with the history of the country, a very negative connotation. And the states were reacting to it. And Hessen, where Frankfurt is, is a very progressive state. And they enacted the first data protection law ever. And it caught on. There was a federal law in France as the first federal law in Europe. And these laws were also discussed here in the United States, but not considered at the time, um, just because different history of the countries in the U.S. also wanting to allow technology to expand further. But it was really a reaction to data processing to fight terrorism at the time in Germany. So that's when I was born. I didn't know anything about it, obviously. In school, it was a topic like any other topic in law school later. I don't think I actually wrote any exam on it. When I clerked for a court in Berlin, it's just one of the regular topics, like you have to do wills and trusts here, regardless of what you do. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that it was a particular focus of mine until clients were asking more and more about it. I started here in California in 20 years ago. Uh -huh. May 2000, uh, 1997 is when I came over uh -huh. as a clerk. And at the time, I was not admitted to the California bar, and I was mostly under the supervision of licensed attorneys helping California companies with thinking about the top 10 or top 20 things they have to do differently when they're exporting their e-commerce models to Europe. And data privacy was one of them that I would list because the laws were so different here. So that increased over time as there was a bigger focus on data and there was a bigger focus on data protection compliance. Mm. And so it became a growing part of my practice just because of the need of companies here in the Bay Area, in the U.S., in the broader sense, and even internationally, to comply with data protection laws where the regimes are so different in Europe and here. Mm. So that's how I got to it. Mm. How did you, I mean, is it something sort of, I mean, is it, something, is it an area that you feel passionate and strongly about, or I mean, I'm just curious if, if you have a strong feeling about privacy and all that? I don't think, personally, I have a stronger feeling of privacy as the next guy. I think there's people that are more private than me, and there's probably people that like social media more than me. I'm passionate about technology, and I'm excited about what companies can do, and I'm very interested in the intersection of law, business, society, 
and how it interacts with technology. That has been a topic for me throughout my career already at the university uh, when I got my PhD, when I qualified for tenure as a law professor in Berlin. That has always been my topic. Data protection is just one of many topics in that area. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't consider myself an advocate necessarily for privacy, but it is an interesting topic, an important one. I brought it to three law schools here in the Bay Area. I'm proud of that. I brought it to USF. I taught the first class of data privacy there already in 2003. And um, my esteemed colleague, Professor Susan Freewald, took it over from me. She's somewhat of an academic mentor of mine. I brought it first to Hastings, and I brought it first to Stanford Law School as a regular course. Berkeley already had it uh, independently with Paul Schwartz, one of the leading academics in this area of the country, too. And he um, let me teach the class one year when he had to take on toward and many other teaching obligations. So I'm, I'm following it both from a... Um, practice side and also from an academic side because it is such an important topic. It's key and front and center to many policy initiatives. It's important for trade between the U.S. and the EU, and it's very important for many companies. And I do teach in Berlin at the Free University since 1994, and I've also been teaching data privacy there. Actually, after I started teaching it in the U.S., before that I was teaching other classes there, but um, the, the university, Free University of Berlin in Germany, where it's such a long-standing topic, did not have a particular curriculum on data privacy. And so I started teaching a class that both covers U.S. and European laws in the privacy area. Now, how would you describe your practice today? I mean, what, what kinds of things do you do? What kinds of advice do you typically give companies? Give me a feel for that. Very often companies come to me with a problem and they're not asking me what is the privacy law situation on this or that, but they come and say, we've got this product here, we've got this new service idea, or we want to buy this product, say a data loss prevention tool, a new way of making automated decisions on a website, background checks in the gig economy. It's more of a technical problem, a business initiative, and they ask me, can we do this or how can we do it? Because the can we do it is kind of assumed for the can-do attitude of companies here. And so then I will tell them what the top considerations are and suggest modifications in a format that is not unlike the new concept of a privacy impact assessment that is now the law actually in Europe as of May 2018. But that's what I've been doing with companies for a long time to tell them how to do that. And it's rarely confined to data privacy is really the only thing that I would flag, but there's maybe a tax issue associated, a labor issue that I happen to be aware of. So it's it's rarely just a expert question, but that exists too. So I also work for companies that have 50 in-house lawyers already dedicated to privacy. As you can imagine, we have a number of companies here that have so many um, questions and issues in the privacy area, and they will come to me with a very specific question, say, how about that law, Song-Beverly Act under California law? How can we get um, information for our loyalty program, or how can we protect our merchants, and who has to do what? So those would be also possible expert questions. Now, obviously, you work with a lot of students. You teach. You must work with a lot of younger lawyers. What kind of advice do you give to younger lawyers who are interested in going into privacy or want to have a career in privacy law? I personally think there's a lot of jobs out there to be created because data is taken on such a front stage. It's the currency, the fuel of the digital economy, and companies are struggling to have 
early on advice and then also advocacy for privacy as they develop products. I think 20 years ago, the attitude was there's no privacy on the internet or we're making a product that's up to the customer how they use it. And that's no longer really acceptable, not so much from the regulators only, but also in the marketplace. People want products that are privacy-friendly or can be configured to be privacy-friendly, and the companies are adapting to that. And so they're looking for professionals that really understand these laws that are also able to implement the requirements of the laws in a consulting early-stage product development product. And these professionals have to be somehow generated. Now, it was funny. When I was here and started, it was all about e-commerce. You remember that. Of course. Anything you would do offline, you would put an E in front of it, <laughs> and then it got a patent for it and get 10 million funding at a minimum. And it was just a, an awesome time here in the gold rush of the e-commerce time. And I remember when the bust came, it's just when I made partner in 2002, there was suddenly nothing. E-commerce was dead. And all the lawyers that had been e-commerce specialists, they were certainly privacy specialists. And they were, in my mind at the time, overdoing it in terms of kind of trying to threaten companies and say, this is going to be such a big deal and you're going to be fined if you don't do something. And I think they were overplaying it at the time. I've not been one of them. I said to the clients at the time, it's still in the top 20 things that you have to think about. But the enforcement is, in Europe, not really that dramatic. And here in the United States, you have to be worried about your class actions and so on, which few practitioners were talking about. It was always citing the EU directives. And that is changing. The EU really is uh, set its mind to using data protection laws to influence how companies are acting, what products are being offered. I think they are singling out U.S. technology companies and feel they need to be forced to their knees. I've heard those sites by companies. I go there frequently. I still go twice a year to Berlin to teach my class. I meet with industry associations, go to conferences and so on. And I think there will be more enforcement. I still not the alarmist guy. I think many of the clients here are very well prepared for this and much better than the European companies are prepared for this, quite frankly. But there will be more attention to this and that means companies will need to even more invest in resources. And so I would say to the younger lawyers, this is a field that is interesting, it's dynamic, it's moving. There will be a lot of changes in Europe in 2018. Not so much in the regulation, just a restatement really of the old rules with a little bit taking things into account um, on the technology side that have changed. But because there will be enforcement, there will be litigation, the authorities will get a reality check on the positions they've been taking. And it's an interesting dynamic field for a young lawyer to go into. So I think it's certainly something to consider. The other piece of advice I would give, though, to a young lawyer, don't be too specialized. Clients are very much interested in a specialist and say, I want somebody who's already done this particular thing 10 times. Right. But in order to really give good, sound advice and not over-prioritize on one topic, you have to understand the bigger picture. So I like people who are around it, who've tried themselves at litigation, who've done other consulting, and not just do privacy only. I think you need to be a little broader in your approach. And I think that the U.S. law school system offers such a nice broad variety of different subject matters. So I would recommend against just zooming in on this one topic. 
Now, what about your own career? You've obviously a very successful career. You're an author. You're a professor. Anything else you'd like? What are some of your other goals, or do you just want to just keep doing what you're doing, or do you have other things that you would like to still try to do? I really enjoy my combination of practice and teaching, and that had always been my plan. When I set out to come here, I actually thought that I had to be a full-time professor, and I qualified for tenure at the Free University of Berlin, and then I would do the teach uh, the practice kind of on the side and, and take some high-profile um, activities on. When I joined Baker McKenzie here, I found such a interesting variety of projects and such an international range of projects that I don't think exists in many places. And I was so captured by it that I decided to come back here and start full-time practicing. I started as a first-year associate, um, always tried to claim my priority of 1997, but I was really a clerk at the time. In 1998, I was still finishing up with my tenure qualification in Berlin and spent, um, I think, four or six months here. But that is the the official start day that I had. I really moved to California in 99, got the bar license and so on. And because at the time, there was so much interest in this international law advice that I was able to make partner in three years. Um, even though I started as a first year, I didn't get uh, much credit or maybe they gave me 98 as a starting point at the time. Maybe I was a second year in 99. But I made partner relatively quickly and it has been just, Super interesting. Every single day I get very interesting new projects. I work with uh, high-class attorneys here at the firm and then also on the client side, and that's just a great pleasure. So I had no intent to go full-time academic or do something different. I've never had a 10-year plan. I remember when I came here, people asked me, what is your five-year and your 10-year plan? I really never had any. I didn't know I would stay in California. I'm a citizen now and really like it here um, but I've never had a long-term plan right now I don't have a 10-year plan either I like what I do every day well Latara it's been a fascinating conversation I really appreciate your taking the time if you do come up with a new idea you'll have to come back and tell me about it thank you so much for inviting me here and I'm honored to be in the series of great practitioners that you've interviewed in the past Richard thank you so much thank you so much this is Richard Chu and Lothar Dieterman mm-hmm.